25% of customers are using both AWS and Azure. 23% are using AWS and GCP. 12% are using GCP and Azure. 9% are using all three hyperscalers. So if my Texas public school math pays off, I say 25 plus 23 plus 12 plus nine, that gets me to 69% of the customers that we surveyed are using more than one hyperscale provider. Hey everybody, it's Jeff Deverter, the host here at Cloud Talk. I'm so glad that you're tuning in this week because we've got a great episode for you where I have Josh Pruitt, Chief Product Officer over at Rackspace Technology. And Josh and I have a great conversation all about the new white paper that Rackspace has released, all on our latest batch of research where we went out and interviewed over 1,400 IT decision makers on how they're approaching and dealing with the cloud today and what big challenges they're facing. I think you're going to find the results pretty fascinating. Now, stick around after this episode. I've got some closing thoughts and a little bit of other information information for you. Hey, and don't forget to subscribe to Cloud Talk. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Josh, who are you and what do you do around these parts? Hey, Jeff. Happy to be here, man. Uh, so I'm Josh Pruitt. I'm the Chief Product Officer for Rackspace. I've been here for a little bit over 12 years. Uh, so as Chief Product Officer, it's my job to make sure that we're putting you know, compelling solutions and services in the hands of um, our rackers, our salespeople, and ultimately um, our customers so that they can solve their business challenges with the help of Rackspace technology. So I'm thinking you know a little something about the cloud. That'd be my I've guess. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of it's that a thing. thing. That cloud thing. Yeah, definitely a thing. It's a thing. Well, hey, so this research, um, folks have, have seen this. We've done it for several years now. We do it um, actually every quarter for the past several years. And each quarter has a different theme. I think earlier in the year, last one was we went out and, and uh, researched what's going on in data around AI and ML, some super interesting findings there. And this last batch was really digging into people's behavior as it relates to how they're approaching the cloud and what they're doing with the cloud and are they comfortable with what they're doing and what are the themes of what they're doing. And, uh, and we went out and talked to 1,420 IT decision makers in 10 different countries. And uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, so it's pretty exhaustive. I'm pretty excited about, about the size and the scope. And, uh, and you'll see, should you go and download this white paper, and I would encourage you to do so, head over to rackspace.com solve. You'll find uh, at least a link to it, a mention to it over there. And, um, and also there's a press release that's coming out about it. So that's probably all out now by the time this hits the airwaves. But, uh, but go check it out. And we talked in there. It'll talk about the demographics, the exact roles. It'll talk about the size of the companies. And, uh, but I want to, Josh and I want to spend some time kind of unpacking some of the things that we thought, well, that were really interesting about, about uh, the whole, uh, all of the findings. And Josh, I think I want to start with the one I've been mentioning as a preview with some of the customers. And that is, as we talked to them, we asked them a question. And this was a new question for this year. And that was, do you envision a time in the next five years where your company will not own a data center? 
because um, you know we when I tell you folks when we are working on these surveys, it takes us a couple of months to go through all the questions, and we pared down a lot trying to make it more simple. And as I looked at the group of them, and I thought, you know what, I really want to know: Are people going to have a data center? And here's the answer: fifty-six percent said that they do envision a time where they will not own a data center. What do you think about that, Josh? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's what we've seen coming, right? You look at. Gosh, running data centers is hard. And, you know, I, I, I say this all the time uh, to our chief operating officer, Greg Hernser, to, uh, you know, his leader who runs all the data centers, Pete McGee. I, I tell them all the time, Rackspace runs the best data centers in the world, bar none, hands down. We are better at it than anybody else. Yeah. But it's really, really really hard. You know, you <laughs> it takes us 23 years to get this good, Josh. That's that's exactly it, man. I mean, uh, running data centers is, is you know, one, uh, super intense and complicated to, to do it right, right? To uh, make sure that you have the appropriate resiliency, to make sure that everything's running the way that it's supposed to. Uh, but then you also get into all the challenges that comes with, you know, owning a data center or leasing a data center and, you know, have the CapEx that you outlay for the hardware and having to procure the hardware and make sure that you have the right thing and make sure that, you know, your vendors shipped you the right cables and, you know, did did they not? It's the wrong link. That's all of the stuff that goes into running a data center. You know, folks just don't don't realize how complicated they are. So it's it's not a surprise at all to me that. People want to get the heck out of that when you consider everything that's going on in the world and you know, kind of what to expect over the next five years. Well, Josh, you and I have been running around Rackspace for a while, and that first major business that we were in, managed hosting, you know, running data centers. Yeah. I, always, I always define managed hosting as we have data centers, we have servers, and we have smart people, and they're all for hire. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, that was the, the – we built this, this first billion-dollar business on the premise that we could turn a, uh, an enterprise's servers and their whole environment on in 14 days. That was the promise. Now – People sort of laugh at that today because they think 14 milliseconds for me to spin up an EC2 instance if the right script is created right. Um, so in that context, we can't we can't compare it like that. But when we think about those workloads, which are best for in a private cloud, and we can talk about those in a minute. Um, you know, that's why it takes businesses 14 weeks to turn a server on, as opposed to us an entire environment maybe in 14 days. Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right, and you know, heck. 14 weeks can sometimes be optimistic, right? <laughs> if you, <laughs> That's right. The supply chain like we have today. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. So no, man, I I wasn't surprised to, to hear that from the respondents. I think that, um, you know, we're going to continue to see the that, that move for, gosh, the vast majority of IT buyers, companies that are not, you know, just IT companies on their own. Um I think we're going to continue to see them moving out of the data centers and getting getting out of that space. It's just it's a it's a massive headache for them. Well, and I think it's also important though that we clarify um, because that doesn't mean the death of the data center. It oh, means, that's a great point. Yeah, it means the death of the corporate data center. Because where are they moving? They're moving in a couple of different places. They're either moving out into a hyperscale cloud, they still need to build data centers, right. or they're moving into a, well, call it either Colo or managed hosting. And Colo market is still growing. And of course our private cloud is still growing nicely. So, yeah. um, 
so the, the data center exists. And I think the best analogy, somewhat tired at this point, but is it just it just works. And that is power generation. You know, back 1800s, early 1900s, all manufacturing was along a waterway where they could generate their own power. Why would they generate their own power? Well, utility power was expensive. Transmission was expensive. It was uh, uh, shoddy. It wasn't consistent. So they had to do it to run their business. The, the analogy holds true in data centers. You had your internet was expensive, power, you know, we didn't generate yep. power because that's all taken care of. But, you know, all the things connect the dots. And a lot of that's been solved. I mean, there, what company other than a large tech company like Rackspace or Facebook or, a, or a, uh, Amazon um, actually has their core business running a data center? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's very few. So, yeah. And so what you see is as companies work to be more efficient, because we've got to do this, especially in this economy that we're in, is how do I not do the things that don't create strategic value? And data centers is hugely one of those. Yep, I agree. And, you know, I think the other piece that's interesting is um, this is really kind of bringing to light the the rise of multi-cloud and where mm-hmm. multi-cloud is really starting to shine because, you know, what we, what, what at least I'm seeing when I talk with, with our customers is, you know, they might be moving out of the corporate data center because they don't want to renew the lease. They've realized that running their own data center is hard. Um, but, you know, not necessarily everything is, is making its way to the hyperscale providers, right? It's, yeah. it's not all going to, you know, one vendor um, because man, IT is complicated. And with that, you know, I think the white paper calls out security is complicated. Security is, you know, a, a massive challenge for, for these customers as you know, they're, they're trying to evolve and they're trying to modernize their, their IT. Um, you know, security really, really starts to get in the way there. Well, it does get in the way and it becomes, it becomes a forcing function for them to do something. You know, because you look at where we are geopolitically, not very stable. You look at the advancement of uh, all the hacking that's going on, the ransomware that's going on, escalating. You know, a lot of that is an outgrowth of the massive amount of transformation that occurred during the pandemic. I mean, what an attack surface that was created for these bad guys. And so security is absolutely a concern. But it's also one of those things that's kind of encouraging companies to make some changes, move out to the public cloud. In fact, when we look at some of the findings, you said several things that in your last statement that deal with some of the findings. Security is one of the attractive uh, aspects of moving out to the cloud. Because uh, it used to be that moving to the cloud looked, is it secure? Can we trust yeah. it? Uh, but now, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why moving to the cloud makes it a little safer. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, you see, I, I, just like you said, it used to be that security was the question mark about cloud. And now you've got AWS, Azure, GCP. They're all creating these, you know, really in, incredible security solutions. Um Part of the problem with that is that they, of course, really only apply to just their own to specific their one specific yeah, environment. That's right. It's it's only their their world. You know, you I you think AWS cares about um, securing your Azure environment? <laughs> I'm thinking not so much. But there is some interesting behavior across the clouds. You know, AWS is like, hey, it's my way or the highway, folks. Uh, Azure and GCP are starting to play more. You see on the da- on GCP, they they had that new data consortium they announced a couple of three weeks ago. And uh, Microsoft is is pretty decent about opening up and and allowing their environments to work elsewhere. Uh, 
I'm not yeah. saying they're great, but it's but it, 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 it they certainly would rather you run it in an, in an Azure construct. Yeah, you know, you look at uh, and and that kind of just to pull, throw this back to the white paper that that brings back to that whole multi-cloud strategy mm-hmm. that we're seeing so many customers adopt. You know, and I was um, with with the the Dell folks uh, here a couple of weeks ago, and all they all they're talking about is multi-cloud, multi-cloud. Isn't multi-cloud. that amazing? Right. And, and, you know, you're, you're finally starting to see as well, the hyperscalers start to acknowledge that the others exist. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> you said, right. They're, they're starting to acknowledge that they're not the only ones, you know, Jeff, um, I'm looking at the white paper and a couple of interesting bullets jump out at me, right? Sure. 25% of customers are using both AWS and Azure. 23% are using AWS and GCP. 12% are using GCP and Azure and 9% are using all three hyperscalers. So, you know, look, if my, if my, Texas public school math pays off. I say 25 plus 23 plus 12 plus nine. That gets me to 69% of the customers that we surveyed are using more than one multi-cloud provider or sorry, more than one hyperscale provider. What's your take on that? Uh, it's a it's a it's a huge question, but I think the number is actually a little bit bigger. So, but we'll leave it as is. They're using more than one hyperscale provider. And, um, you know, we, we, we joke around a lot because you and I use this phrase, you know, is, is multi-cloud your situation or is it your strategy? Did you stumble into it because of M&A or somebody swiped a credit card or is it really what you're trying to do? And there have been some very high profile companies who have announced multi-cloud strategy. Boeing comes to mind, committed across all three, made public statements um, that what they're telling their employees is, I don't care which cloud you use, just use a cloud. And I think that's pretty amazing. And they're not saying move your VM out there, build digital twins of these engines, do all kinds of fancy stuff to utilize the cloud for everything that it's worth. Now, uh, I, I said, I think the number is actually higher than the 69 because a lot of companies, and you qualified the question well, you said hyperscale cloud provider. You didn't say just multi-cloud or cloud provider. But the reality is, is the rest of the workloads are running in some form of a private cloud. Not much bare metal these days, except for some, you know, running your ERP or a few other examples. But but I, I say they're, they're more of a Uh, of an offshoot. So uh, 90 some percent of the world is using some form of multi-cloud because if you go out and we talked about this before while we were thinking about what we, what we talk about on this podcast is, is that every one of our customers, um, they tell you in marriage counseling, never say always or never. But I think in this case we can say it, not that I've ever been to marriage counseling, but uh, I've just seen it on TV. Um, uh, Every one of our private cloud customers are also using at least a public cloud. Multi-cloud. Oh, absolutely. The world absolutely. is multi-cloud. And, and here's the thing. If if they don't think they are, they just don't know it yet, right? <laughs> they, they just don't know it. Like, and, and, and this goes back to um, one thing that the hyperscalers have done so well is made it so easy for anybody to swipe a credit card and sign up for it. You're tired of your IT department taking too long to provision you a VM? No problem. Bust out that corporate card and go sign up for your AWS account. And so, you know, anybody who doesn't think that this is happening in their IT organization is is frankly just dead wrong. Like this, it, it happens across the board, um, and that's that's how you end up with this sprawl. So I fully agree with you. Once you, especially once you throw in, you know, VMware um, and, and private cloud into that equation, oh gosh, you're you're all over the mid to high nineties of uh, yeah. percent of companies that are are using multi cloud in some way. All right, I got to ask you one question. You're the product leader here at Rackspace. You, uh, you, one of those products is the private cloud. So I'm going to ask you. Uh, I want you to take your your um, 
your opinionated Rackspace hat off for just a second. Yeah. And I want you to tell me what workloads tend to be great in a private cloud, or is there still really a place for the private cloud? Which ones are great for public cloud? Yeah, man, great question. So, um, you know, I, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty opinionated here that um, when it comes to running virtual machines, I think that um, VMware still does that better than most anybody out there. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I, I got to wear the Rackspace hat for a little bit and say that like running <laughs> running VMware at Rackspace, like there's just no better place to do it. I think this is this is one of those, um, you know, great lies or great myths that a lot of the hyperscalers have, uh, you know, been able to put out is that running VMs in a public cloud means that you're on the cloud. Um, you know, if you think about like all the benefits of cloud, like, speed to innovate, uh, better resiliency, lower price, all that good stuff. That all applies to public cloud when you use their specialized services like, yeah. you know, RDS or DynamoDB or Lambda or Step Functions, you know, queuing. CosmoDB. Um, Sorry, I had to say another cloud something. <laughs> yeah. Per, per, Query. Per, per, big Query, CosmoDB, all that good stuff, right? Like, but if, if the majority of what you're using are long-running EC2 instances or long-running VMs with Azure or with Google, um, and the, and you have some persistent storage too. Like, you're not getting any of those benefits. You're not getting the speed to innovate. You're not getting better resiliency. You're not getting any of those things. In fact, it's the opposite. And so, you know, I think that that's where like your multi-cloud approach really starts to to, to matter. Is that um, it doesn't make sense to have mountains and mountains of data. Um, at a hyperscale provider that you're paying a premium for and is expensive for you to be able to access. Um, it doesn't make sense for you to be running, you know, all of your hundreds or even dozens of VMs at that hyperscale provider that are always powered on to go and, and run your applications. And so, you know, if I think about like specific workloads, you know, it's it's really um, any, anybody who's in a you know, highly regulated industry, like financial services, health and life sciences, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Um, it's your HR information system. It's your CRM. It's, you know, these these types of workloads. Um, uh, it's, it's anything that has data that you would want to be able to access from multiple tools and, yeah. and multiple other applications that are sitting in other clouds. Like, those are all the workloads um, and, and, you know, then some more that... I don't think you're ever going to move to, to, to public cloud, at least not in the next decade. Then you add into that like high performance compute, right? Um, you know, you look at everything that NVIDIA is doing from an HPC perspective and, you know, the, what, what they're unlocking. I, I don't think that, you know, we've seen the public cloud providers um, really crack the code on, on how to leverage high performance compute in a public cloud, Um you know, being able to access the gobs and gobs of data that, you know, it takes to create a, a lot of the models. That's really interesting. You know, and so you talk about, this is something else that the the uh, the, the research exposed. You say that, that move the stuff to the cloud that's going to actually be, uh, air quotes for those who are only listening, uh, cloudy. And the research actually shows that that's what people are doing. Those workloads going out into the cloud, it's all about serverless. It's about containers. Uh, and, um, and I'm going to pair that with one of the other findings. And that was, Hey, comparing, you know, your, your ability or your desire to take on some additional risk, you know, where was it a couple of years ago? Where are you now? And we look at that compared to some of our findings from before we find that, uh, IT decision makers are much more 
uh, adept to make some uh, risky, not say risky, they're willing to accept more risk in their moves and transforming workloads to use the, to, to, to use the new technology, it, it, it creates some risk. So I think that we're seeing those two things going hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, the ability to accept some more risk in their IT environment and the adoption of the, for, for public cloud stuff, it's running cloudy. Yeah, which, you know, I, I think makes sense, right? It, it speaks to where we're at in the world today where, you know, gosh, man, you, you remember what you were doing two years ago at this time? We were all trying to find toilet paper on the store shelves That's and, right. you know, figuring out how to survive without human contact. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, None of it was very fun. It was it was bad times, man. Bad times, yeah. and, and and so you think about like where everybody's head was two years ago, and then you know starting to come out of it uh, a year ago. I don't I don't think it's a huge surprise that uh, IT professionals are starting to wake up and say like, oh, all right, now that we're you know not fighting each other for paper towels, um, you know what am, what am I going to do with my IT environments? And oh, by the way. Um, it turns out all of my people are working from all over the globe now instead of a central office. And that's yeah. changed a couple of things in IT. Um, you know, so I, I think that, that that also comes out in the white paper of, you know, this distributed workforce and how, you know, we're seeing more and more companies are, are dealing with a very hybrid situation. Right. And so, you know, there's always a challenge. So a couple of years ago, we were we were trying to figure out the shortages that, you know, in in toilet paper, as well as figuring out how to survive some of the other things in how to how to work remotely. But we did ask the question, what were the what were the top challenges that companies are experiencing now? And again, we were we were chatting about this before. And in the past, when we've asked this question, it was, you know, hey, this stuff is really complex. It was a lot of technical challenges that they were having. But when we look now at the top three challenges, first, supply chain. Second, IT talent shortages. Third, inflation. Um, none of these uh, directly are IT challenges. They are all other. That's that's exactly right. It's, it's all, um, you know. HR issues, right? <laughs> yeah, that and finance, yeah, with the, the inflation. Yeah, it's your, it's your finance, finance and HR issues that are uh, you know top of mind for everybody. And I think that you know that speaks to the world that we're in is that um, you know a, a, the providers have um, you know simplified a lot of the technology. You know, I think That's that right. you can you can look at it through both lenses, right? You can say that it's it's way more complex than it's ever been. And, and that's true, right? I mean, you know, public cloud has brought on, um, you know, just a breadth of options for, for folks to choose from. And, you know, with tons of options can create a lot of complexity. Um, but the flip side of that, the other way to look, look at it is that they've really simplified a lot of things because they've given you these, you know, Lego bricks, if you will, of how to put together a solution um, so that you can, you know, modernize your application. And, you know, but you can go go forward and refactor that application to take advantage of the cloud native capabilities. Um, and that's something that stood out here, right? Is that mm -hmm. is this drive towards serverless that we're seeing so many of these customers um, and, and folks surveyed, um, you know, putting an emphasis on serverless coming out. So I, I know that I, I know that you're bullish on containers and serverless. Talk, let's talk about it. Let's hear it. Yeah. You know, um, and I've talked about, especially on the serverless side, uh, for a while. One of the things that attracts me the most about it is the fact that it fundamentally changes the way we perceive and the way we not just perceive, but the way we, we're charged. You know, we go away from this, I'm going to reserve some capacity in a VM. 
whether I'm actually going to do it in VMware, whether it's an EC2 instance, or whether I do it right with a reservation. And I'm going to have my capacity. Now I build my entire IT support model around that. Well, if I have 50 servers, I need one FTE. If I have 75, I need more. You, you know, they've built these models that, that support that. So that ultimately then when, let's let's play what if for a second, and, and uh, this company that's got this elaborate model is going to do a Super Bowl ad. So marketing comes knocking on IT's door and say, we're doing a Super Bowl ad 2023. Let's get spun up. Um, and they're going to ask the question, how many people are coming to the website? And how many good people are going to hit the commerce side? Because they're going to have to scale that thing. Now, they're going to have to overscale because they don't really know whatever the guess is. They're going to have to figure that piece out. You move to a serverless environment, you enter being charged by the event. Now, with our marketing application or a commerce application, we know what a buyer's journey looks like inside of there. We know the amount of transactions that are going to occur with that click. And uh, and now, when marketing comes uh, over to IT and says, I'm going to bring you 100,000 viewers uh, in, in from this thing, this ad, well, now they can go through and actually calculate to the penny in some cases, depending on how accurate their viewer number is what the cost is going to be in real dollars. And by the way, if they go over, site does not go down. These clouds scale for it. I love that stuff. But it creates, yeah, to go to my comment before, going through a transformation of, of the way we used to do things to the way we do things now, any change creates risk. Yep. That's, um, so that's it's, exactly it's that balancing it. act. Um, hey, so on, on the topic, you know, there's there's a, a contrast here in the white paper that is, okay. um, you know, it, it says, hey, serverless, through the roof. Everybody's, everybody's taking advantage of it. It's, it's going big. I think you and I both agree, um, you know, as, as folks are refactoring their applications more and more serverless is, is, you know, eating, eating the world in that regard. Um, the contrast that's called out in the white paper is that I, the it skills gap hinders Mm. companies going serverless. Um, what are you, what are you seeing? The customers that you're talking to, how are, how are you seeing folks, um, bridge, that skill gap, right? Everybody wants it, but but you, you do have this problem of, you know, not yeah. everybody knows how to do it. I mean, so so you've got a driver in the car who's ready to accept some risk. He's ready to push down on the accelerator pedal and and get some real action in his in his IT department, but the tank is empty. The tank of the people who are going to do the work. It's a huge huge issue. And uh, and we called it out uh, in in the white paper as we looked at all of the the core findings. And, um, and it's, it's challenging. I mean, we then even went on to ask some questions of what are you doing to retain or attract? And it's some of the stuff you might've expected to see, you know, there's retention bonuses, there's, um, you know, signing bonuses for new folks. Um, you can, you can download the, the white paper and see it, but it is a very real issue. You know, it was one of the top three things that, that the 1420 said really was their, their biggest challenges now in 2022. And that yeah. is the skills gap. Um, and there's some really interesting creative things, I think, that companies are doing in that space. You know, this is a, this is thought leadership and not necessarily an ad for rack space. But we've got a technical onboarding program where we take existing rackers who are in jobs that maybe not so fulfilling, maybe don't have the longest longevity. And we pay them to take classes at Rackspace to go over three months to become cloudy, the types of jobs that we need. So we are reskilling a huge percentage of our, our workforce to be into the roles that, that we can't find externally. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's, that's one of the things that was a little bit surprising for me to see mm-hmm. um, in the findings of the white paper. You know, I, I did expect, you know, 
training and development opportunities, like that's, that's always something important for an employer to provide. Right. But when I, that came out as the number one strategy to attract and retain talent from the IT professionals that we, that we surveyed, right. The, you know, I'm I'm looking at the result there that 40% of, of those surveyed were using, you know, promoting the training and the development of their staff as, as that retention tool so that, you know, you can give people these, these new skills. And then to your point, that's, you know, followed on by the moderate increases in salary and, you know, uh, promoting that hybrid work-life balance and, you know, letting folks work from home and work remotely. But, um, you know, I think great to see just in general for the industry, right. That, um, it, it feels like so many employers, um, and, you know, obviously Rackspace included in, in the many programs that we run are, are really, you know, latching onto this concept that the IT world is changing and, Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've got to upskill the the talent to be able to take advantage of it. Yeah. So so let's do an informal poll over here. You're an IT decision maker. You're making decisions in IT every day, more than you want to be making. You've got a few <laughs> people who report to you. Um, what percentage, or maybe you count it on one hand, I'm not going to leave the witness anymore, come knocking on your virtual door and they say, hey, Josh, I'm dying to go back to the office. Can you, can you get me in? <laughs> um, you know, it's... There are people, there are, there are some, right. There's, we definitely have some, you know, and, and I saw, I saw this at the very start of pandemic. Um, you know, there were folks cause everybody was doing this, right. It was like, you know, when we first went remote, it was sort of that like, Hey, everybody just work from home for the next week or two, and then we'll come back. And then a week or two turned into a month into, you know, two months and three months. And so as, as we would give the guidance to Rackers, it, it was so interesting to see because, some some people would be like, yeah, this is great. I get to keep working from home. And I literally had other people cry really? um, that they weren't going to be able to return to the office because they miss it. They miss the people. They miss the energy. Mm. They miss, you know, their, their cube mates. They, you know, they, they miss having that space to focus. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, it is a spectrum, right? Yeah. Having said that, right, I, I think that, um, you know, the majority of folks want that at least the flexibility um i think that you know most most rackers you know if you're going to pin me down for a percentage here um you know i would i would say probably 60 70 plus percent are open to you know a flexible schedule of hey i'd like to come into the office you know maybe it's a couple days a week maybe it's a couple days a month um interact with people see people be able to do that like you know real kind of in, in the weeds planning and discussion and just that energy that builds when you have smart yeah. people talking about cool stuff. Um, I think that the majority of people are open to that. I think that it's you know, probably single digits of, of, of people who are, you know, really amped up and excited to get back to a five day a week in the office, um, you know, experience again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, different people have different situations, but, uh, you know, I'm certainly one of those that, that uh, did the Snoopy happy dance when I got to stay working from home. And, uh, but it doesn't mean I don't go into the office. You know, there's value in it. It becomes team building. It becomes group meetings. It becomes not the place. And I think Holly, our, our, um, our chief people officer says it well, it's not necessarily the place you go to do your job. It's the place you go for learning. It's the place you go for those, those other things. Now, most people who are listening to this um, don't know what the buzz hive of the Rackspace office was, you know, when we were all in there. I mean, it was a very special place uh, and, uh, and a great place to be a part of. And I do mourn that, but not as much as I enjoy working from home. 
Josh, um, there's a ton in here. What else sticks out in your mind that that you want to call attention to? We don't want to give it all away. I mean, we still need want people to go download this. There's some great information in here. But uh, what else sticks out that you want to make sure we don't miss? Yeah, let's see. You know, um, we talked about the barriers to cloud optimizations. Uh, let's see. We talked about the, the you know, risk of, of burnout from rackers, um, of you know, the, in, in that hybrid world, mm-hmm. you know, I think that again, my major takeaway here, Jeff is, um, just how much of a multi-cloud world it is. Yeah. And that I think is something that is not going to change. I think that we're going to see, continue to see huge adoption of multi-cloud mm-hmm. as folks realize that, you know, it's everybody wins in when we have Amazon, and Google and Microsoft all competing for creating the greatest hyperscale cloud provider, everybody wins because they keep pushing each each other. They keep pushing, you know, the bounds of technology. And it might be that, you know, Google's got some incredible AI ML, um, you know, technologies that you can take advantage of. And, uh, you know, AWS might have some fantastic serverless technologies that you can take advantage of. Um, And so the, the more that, the more that you know, the world and IT leaders adopt this multi-cloud mentality, I think mm-hmm. that we're going to see the pace of innovation just continue to accelerate um, and, and really create some awesome, awesome things. Yeah. How about you, Jeff? I, any other I, any other thoughts? I think the one thing I'd like to to kind of tie in on also is as we think about what you were just saying, all these these hyperscale cloud providers and VMware. There's some incredible um, um, uh, innovation that's happening in that space, but with uh, attracting people out into the, the hyperscale cloud providers. We asked a question and that was, what benefits are you trying to drive by making these moves? And the number one was increasing customer experience. And I love that because it is a very tangible business outcome. Remember, we asked IT decision makers this question. Usually it was better, faster, cheaper, you know, uh, some shiny new tech toy. It's usually tech focused. And I love that these IT decision makers said to make our customer experience better. That's why we're making this move. And I think that's super impactful. By the way, I think it was number two, if I'm remembering correctly, was to help drive innovation. There These you go. are good reasons to move to the cloud. Those are, those are good reasons. Those are good reasons to move to cloud. Um, and, you know, the whole world benefits, right? Better customer experience creates more competition, uh, you know, con- continues the pace of innovation. I love it. Continues the pace of innovation. We all move forward. We all keep our jobs because we all work in IT. Yay. <laughs> and I think one of the last things I'd even call out is we, we spent a fair amount of time talking about the um, IT uh, tech talent shortage. So if you're watching and or listening to this and you think, what am I going to do with my life? You're a younger person. Maybe you're in a job and you're thinking, I don't like my life. What I'm going to tell you is there is so much free training available to you. You go out to uh, Amazon, go to Azure, go to Google. Um, In fact, I love the way Amazon does it. They make their training. It's all free, but it looks like an Amazon storefront. Um, And uh, you just kind of buy these things that have a 0.00 next to them and it's training. So um, there is no better industry to be in right now if you're looking for uh, what your future is going to be. Uh, whether you're just starting out or thinking about a change, then working in this industry. If you go out and get some of that training, call me because they have referral bonuses here. And then I can make, I mean, I'll find you a great job. It'll be a great job. We'll love it. We'll love it. All right, Josh, thanks so much for spending. Uh, we're doing this on a Friday afternoon. I don't know about you, Josh, but this is close to the last thing I have to do today. Uh, but thanks for spending your Friday afternoon with us. Happy to be here. Thanks, Jeff. You bet. 
This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Hey, so what did you think about those findings? I think that uh, we're seeing some really big changes in the IT space these days. You know, one of the things we didn't get to touch on that I'd hope to is that when we asked what are the leading technologies that you're you know, experimenting with and wanting to adopt, and you know what was on top of that list? And a technology was at the top of that list that a couple of just short years ago, we said not a lot is going on with Edge. You know, Edge is a technology whose time has come. Edge is a technology who is, uh, is that's actually driving a lot of other industries that have been stalwarts when it comes to cloud transformation, like the manufacturing industry. So Edge technology, folks. Hey, go check out that, uh, that research. You can download the white paper over at rackspace.com slash solve. Now, as always, big old thank you to our good friends over at App Dynamics. We love those guys uh, and what they're doing in helping with software observability, helping these cloud-centric workloads run so much better than they ever could just simply by observing from customer all the way to the back end. App Dynamics, sponsor of this program, well, and just a great company and a great group of individuals. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. We look forward to bringing you one next week. For Cloud Talk and the whole production team here, I'm Jeff Deverter. Have a great day. Thank you.